Everybody got your caffeine? You ready to go? Yeah, there's six of you. Awesome. So glad for that. Hey, I'm so glad to be back. I've, I've been away, uh, for those of you that are here all the time, I've been away and I've just missed you guys and uh, our boards graciously a couple years ago told me, uh, gave me, gave me the opportunity to go and do some things with uh, higher education and I was able to spend the last week in Holland, Michigan and I'm glad to be back with my family and and I think they're glad for me to be back. I'm pretty pretty certain that they're they were really excited to see me, and they weren't faking it, so that was cool. Uh, but yeah, we're back, and we're in this series here in our church called We Are. Say We Are. We Are. We have prayer here on Wednesday nights at 5.30, right here in this room, if you want to get with the community and pray. And we have our Wednesday night Bible studies and everything for the kids uh, going on at 6.30. And uh, like uh, we, we've alluded to already, we've got this hope fund and this this vision and stuff that God's birthing inside of us. So make sure that you do take that stuff and you pray through it. One other quick thing before we get into the, the message, we have a group of folks going to Israel this year. And if you're interested in that, we have an interest meeting on Sunday, January 29th at 9.30. So that's during the uh, hour when small groups and classes and stuff like that's happening anyway over in room 102. So if you want information about that, you want to ask questions, all that kind of stuff, there's also a QR code there that can answer a lot of questions, but if you wanted to uh, you know, find out more information, that's when we're having our meeting for that. This series called We Are, we're taking a look, like an in-depth look of, at who we are as a church, and we're as the people of God in 2023 in Albemarle called by God. Like, What does it mean to be a part of the church of Jesus here in 2023? And today, I'm going to bring a sermon to you and... If you're into titles, I would title this thing Chain Breakers. Say Chain Breakers. Chain breakers. Now give, give it like, oh, Chain Breakers. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, let me give you a disclaimer. Uh, anytime we talk about breaking chains or we talk about overcoming or we talk about the stuff we're going to talk about today, I, I, get, I have to fight something in myself of being a little cynical because... I've, I've seen and I've heard preachers and churches and faith people talk about things of God before, and it's all just kind of been up in, like, theory. It's all just kind of been, like, hopeful, kind of if you say the right thing, the right thing might actually happen. And the disclaimer I want to give you is that I'm a very pragmatic person. Um, it's, it's, it's one thing to pray for hope and to talk about hope. I'm the, I'm the guy in the corner going, listen, I really believe this stuff in the Bible can actually be lived. So what does it mean to be a person of hope? What does it mean to actually live this way rather than just aspire to living this way? And so my, my disclaimer is when we're talking about breaking chains, we're not going to be lazy about this. We're not, we're not going to be um, just kind of big picture objectively talking about it. We're, we're going to get some, some, some practicality about that with the Spirit of God because real chains, real struggles, real pain, we need real faith. We don't, we don't need a lot of lip service and we don't need somebody saying that if we just say the right things, then magic happens. Because that's not true. It's just not. You can confess with your heart, you can confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, but if you don't believe in your heart, you're not working that way with your hands. You're not postured that way with your feet. 
you're not walking that pathway without the belief and the cha- and what's going on with Christ in you if you're not living it out. So that's my disclaimer is that um, we Christians either really live in authentic freedom or we're constantly denying reality. And that means that we, we live as though something is real when it isn't. Let me, let me give you an example. There's um, this weekend... Tomorrow, we have a, a national holiday where we recognize uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. I would encourage you, go on Google, look up letter from a Birmingham jail, and read it. It, w- it, will, it will disrupt you. It will mess with you. I encourage you to get that one and to read it because this letter from Dr. King, this, this is one of those moments where somebody was taking faith and was taking real life and was really leaning into it with practical life. Dr. King was sitting in jail writing this letter on the margins of the newspapers. And you know who he was writing to? He was writing to preachers. He was writing to preachers. And he said things in this letter like, an injustice somewhere in Atlanta or in Memphis or in Birmingham is an injustice where we live. He said things like, people have a moral responsibility to break unjust laws and to take direct action rather than waiting potentially forever for justice to come through a human system through the courts. He took this idea of breaking chains and he made himself a catalyst for breaking chains. So when we talk about breaking chains and that we are a church of people who are in the chain-breaking business the hope business, we had better have something real to offer people who need hope. Because the last thing someone needs are empty thoughts and prayers. What we need is each other. What we need is Christ living through us. Something real in our faith. Because if it's not real, we're just a bunch of posers. If you don't know what a poser is, we could talk about 90s lingo in the lobby afterwards. I want to I start by telling a story about a uh, really horrible, terrible, bad day I had. It was several years ago. I was living in Baltimore, and our family was in a townhouse. If you're not familiar with what a townhouse is, that's okay. I grew up in Albemarle. I did not know what a townhouse was until later in life because I didn't see townhouses around here when I was growing up. Townhouses are thin little houses that are beside thin little houses, and they're connected by walls, and it looks like apartments, but it's not apartments. It's like three stories or four stories of a narrow home, and we lived in this row of townhouses, and so like when we went out on our back deck, we also saw our neighbors, like right there, like, hey, Joe. I mean, that was my neighbor's name, Joe, and so we were living in these townhouses, and it was in the middle of the night, And I heard and I was awakened by a slap across my face. And it was my wife. That doesn't happen normally, regardless of what you may think. And she didn't mean to slap me in the face. It was the middle of the night. And what she heard, soon I heard. And there there was this... It, it sounded like you had trapped a really violently disturbed person in a small box right outside of our third floor window. That's the third floor. 
Nobody's climbing up there. I mean, I didn't even have an extension ladder that would reach there. And we heard, we heard something bang. It literally sounded like somebody had a hammer and they were banging against the gutters and the soffits of our house and on our roof. And I went out to the window and I threw open the shade and like any good scene from a horror movie, dangling in front of me were the gutters. They had come off. The, 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 the trim and stuff was just sitting there dangling. I was like, what is going on? And I go outside in my black gym shorts, and I did put on a shirt and some flip-flops, and I shone a light up there to my roof. And you know what it was? It was a raccoon. You know what I did? I went back in and got some golf balls and a tennis ball. There he is. That's after we trapped him. This raccoon did over $2,500 worth of damage to that corner of the house. What we learned was that a raccoon had burrowed through the wood, the plywood, and had like had babies in our attic we, we had bought a foreclosure so it was abandoned for a little bit it had like that was they were returning home to, to to have babies i guess or something and when we patched the hole there was sheet metal there so this raccoon raccoons have opposable thumbs and can grab things like you and i can grab things this raccoon had a rock and was beating the sheet metal on the side of our house trying to get in through the same entryway we set up a trap. We trapped this raccoon. And, and I think there's another picture. If you can go to the next picture. I don't know why it's sideways. Turn your head this way. And that thing, that thing, scary. So what I did with the golf balls and the tennis ball, obviously, is I went outside and I started throwing it at the raccoon from the ground 30 foot up in the air. I looked like a crazy person out there in my PJs, throwing stuff, trying to get it. And I would hit this raccoon, and it would look at me, and he would smile. He was not interested in going anywhere, so we had to trap him. Months later, we had another raccoon. I shot this raccoon with a 22 air rifle in the chest. He stood up and just looked at me didn't matter not a bit tell you what I know we got raccoons that are pretty bad around here I ain't got nothing on Baltimore raccoons <laughs> not a thing that was a pretty terrible horrible bad day and we can we can often feel chained down by stuff that we're going through like a lot of times we can feel that like it's just not our day or it's just one hit after another hit after another. Have you ever felt that way? Like the hits just keep coming. And it's, it is more painful than my little raccoon story. That was annoying, but it wasn't a diagnosis. Some of you are going through some real pain right now. You're in treatment. There's been a death in the family. You're coping, there's grief. Some of you, you find yourself in a dead-end job cycle. And it's, you feel like it's killing you and you can't break free. And the Bible is filled with stories about people who are chained down by terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. King David was one of these guys. He was supposed to be a man after God's own heart. And he sexually exploited a woman in the, in the kingdom. 
took her, sexual predator, stalked her, brought her in. She, he, she becomes pregnant by him. And you know what he does? He kills her husband, has her husband killed, trying to cover it up. And then the baby that's born dies. And you know what? A lot of times we like to look at that and say, well, David, David, David. Man, there's a lot of people in that story having a lot of bad days. There's the woman who was sexually exploited. There's the husband who was killed. There's the people that were surrounding David who felt the need to just do whatever the king said. There's the prophet who felt the need to confront David. Another story in the Bible is about a guy named Samson. He's living with his lover and she betrays him. He ends up having his eyes gorged out, chained between pillars, and ends up dying under the collapse of a building that he causes. Another one is a guy named Hosea. There's a whole book in the Bible named Hosea. This one kills me. He was actually called by God as a prophet to live out an illustration for the name of God. God called him to marry a prostitute. And you know what, the, to add insult to injury, you know what the prostitute's name was? Gomer. Gomer. Imagine taking Gomer home to your family. Your dad being like, from the Andy Griffith show? No. Different Gomer. There's all these stories. The Apostle John, if we go to the New Testament, he's the only one of the disciples that was not executed. Sounds like a good deal until you figure out he was boiled in oil publicly. He was exiled on a rock in the Mediterranean Sea. See, the heroes of the Bible, they weren't heroes because they were perfect. They're heroes because they overcame difficult things. They're heroes because they walked through that fire. Their circumstances were not magically taken away. And I think that we, I think we struggle sometimes with faith because we feel like if I pray and I do the thing, God's going to give me a miracle that takes away all the bad things. And listen, I'm a Pentecostal preacher and I love me some miracles. But they're miracles for a reason. You know, what, you know what I found in my life with hard, terrible, bad days? You know, what I've, you know what has consistently happened with me? God has used that pain, and I've grown, and I've pressed through it, and he's taught me how to endure it. I know people who've had miracles happen. I can't, like, the miracles that I see in Scripture, like, of healing, I can tell you, like, like that, I'm not the guy that I feel like that's going to happen to. And some really, really spiritual people will be like, well, if you name it, you claim it, brother. And I'm like, shut up. <sighs> I hate that. I hate it. I've seen miracles. But I also think that we see miracles a lot more desensitized to them because they happen very often. Why are miracles only miracles when it's the one thing? No. I see miracles. I'm looking over here at Miss Sharon. Her husband died a couple years ago. We prayed for his healing. But there's a miracle in this family today. It's this baby grandson. And as soon as I mention that, boy, a big old smile. I see miracles like happening all over the community called the church. I see people suffering, people hurting. I see redemption happen. 
That's good news because at some point in our lives, at some point our circumstances are going to seem overwhelming, either as a result of something that we've done or because there's been something done to us. And I'm just a crazy preacher standing in the pulpit today exclaiming to you that I believe that there is real hope for real problems. I believe there is real Jesus hope for our real problems. Our text for today is coming from the book of Acts chapter 16. And I want to tell the story that begins in verse 16. And I want to end up at verse 25 with everybody together. See, there's, there's a story happening uh, with these two apostles, or these two guys, Paul and Silas. And they're coming into the city, and as they come into the city and they're doing their thing, there's this slave girl that's following them, shouting out, these men work for the God Most High. These are men of the Most High God. And she's shouting this, and you would think that they would like the PR, but it's annoying to them. And everywhere they go, she is shouting. The, and this, this lady, this slave woman, makes money for what I would call spiritual pimps. They use her gift of being able to tell the future, and they profit off of it. And she's following them all around town. And in a moment of holiness, but my imagination would say holy frustration, the Apostle Paul turns around, points at her, and casts out the Spirit. And that sounds like a great miracle. But did you know that if the Spirit of God does something through you that affects the income of somebody in town, they're not going to be happy with you. Especially if they're driving an economy for other industries in town. And that is exactly what is happening in this moment. And what happened, people in town got so angry. They brought them before the magistrates. They brought them before the, before the religious people. They beat the snot out of them. They stripped them naked. They put them in the inner cell. And there is Paul and Silas. In an ancient jail cell, in the deep, dark cell, where raw sewage is flowing from the city. Chained to the walls, cannot get away. They've had the snot beat out of them, they've got open wounds, they are bleeding. They are sitting there, and then we get to verse 25. After the mob and all of the stuff, verse 25, around midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Let me tell you something, gang. I recently flew on an airplane. I wasn't singing praises to God as I shoehorned this impressive mass structure called my body into a coach seat. It was impressive how I got this thing confined. Have you ever gotten dog food out of a can and heard a... That's how it sounded when I stood up. These guys are bleeding and hurting. They've been stripped. They've been chained. And if you've been chained by somebody before, they don't care how the chains feel. 
And what are they doing at midnight? They're not sitting there crying or complaining or tweeting or whatever about how bad the services are. They're not giving five-star Google reviews or one-star about the condition of the sound. They're not concerned with whether the seats is big enough for them or not. What are they doing? Praying and singing hymns to God. And those of you that love hymns, there's your scripture right there. They were singing singing hymns to God. We did a hymn today. And the other prisoners were listening. Paul and Silas was doing everything right, and they're thrown into jail. They're in chains. And when, when, they are, when they are in chains, somehow in this moment, they're free, y'all. Like, they're in their chains, and they're free. They're worshiping God in the middle of their... They're not faking it, and they're not doing it out of some compulsion like, like, it doesn't say that they're praying for release. Did you catch that? They're not sitting there praying like, oh, God. I don't know what they're praying, but Scripture is telling us specifically that they were praying. If you look in the Greek, which is what this was originally written in, they're praying the prayers. See, these are, these are good Jewish boys. They know the prayers. They're praying the Psalms. They're praying the prayers that they pray in church. You know how we prayed today with, with hands open? They're praying like that. They're like, okay, passionate and image bearers and blah, blah, blah. And then they're singing hymns. Praise God from whom all bless. Like they're, they're praying prayers and singing hymns and other people hear them. If I'm praying prayers in that moment, I'm praying explosive diarrhea over my captors. I'm praying for relief. Because when I feel chained down by my circumstances, I get really self-centered. But when I focus on Jesus, chains break. Now, we have not gotten to the verse where the chains literally broke. We're not there yet. I want to point out that these guys, with their chains, are more free than anybody who is keeping them prisoner. When they focus on Jesus, what's happening here, let's get real. When they're focusing on Jesus, there is something inside of them that is larger than the experience that's happening around them. They are, their, their interior is larger than their exterior. They're free. So let's get real. What does this really mean? What's pragmatic about this? How is focusing on Jesus going to break these chains? And here's the thing. Focusing on Jesus isn't magic. It's not magic. It's actually very practical and very pragmatic, but it's not magic. The diagnosis, when when I focus on Jesus, the diagnosis isn't always reversed. Today, my Uncle Bill is still under 125 pounds with hospice called in because he has cancer. Today, my friend Randy is still dead. Today, I still owe money on my student loans. Just because I'm focusing on Jesus does not mean that, that the extenuating circumstances change and, 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 or, 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 or are completely wiped out. Because, you know, 
if I'm really going to believe that Jesus is bigger than the pains that I walk through, maybe this is about more about maybe this is more about what He's doing in me and what He's doing in the kingdom than it is about what I see. Maybe my world is actually pretty small. Focusing on Jesus means this. It means that I am complete and whole in every way, even in the circumstances where I feel the shackles around my body. It means that what Jesus has done for me is larger and more expansive than what is happening to me in the prison cell. That's what focusing on Jesus means. It means that even though there are real change, that the real gifts of God are not nullified. The real peace and love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control is, are not there because I have practiced them all so very hard, but they are his gifts to me because Jesus is Lord. Not because the bad thing has magically disappeared. There's a movie that came out not too long ago, but maybe a decade at this point. But the books came out a long time before that, The Chronicles of Narnia with C.S. Lewis. And I don't know if you're into the whole fantasy thing and all that, but there's, there's this scene that is a great metaphor for this whole, it's bigger on the inside than on the outside thing. I have a spirituality that within me that is bigger than what I'm experiencing on the outside. There's a scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where uh, one of the main characters, Lucy, great name, is walking through and she opens a wardrobe and she looks into it and there is another world inside the wardrobe. And in this wardrobe that fits in this room in her world, it is more of a portal into a wider, expansive place that exists that is way beyond the home that she's living in. If you're a fan of Doctor Who, you, you're probably familiar with the TARDIS. It's this idea that it's bigger on the inside. And this, this is a great metaphor for spirituality, for Christianity, for following Jesus. That it's bigger on the inside. When we worship and we praise God and we sing to him, we are giving testimony to the work that he has done in us that is more powerful than the hell that damns us in everyday life. We Christians give testimony to the bigness of God that is bigger than this world. My friend Andy, who's a pastor in, in New Jersey, says it this way. He says, what if, what if we are firmly planted in this two-dimensional world of disenchantment, set down in our community and thoroughly incorporated into this community. But what if our interiors exist on a different relative dimension to what's going on in the exterior? What if when folks entered the church of Jesus, they would exclaim, this place is so much bigger on the inside than it was out in the parking lot? What if the love of Jesus was more real than the seats that you're sitting in and the walls that are painted and the carpet that is still pink after all these years? What, what if the love of Jesus in community 
was what was drawing, because it's bigger inside the love of Jesus. What if we existed not in two dimensions, but in three? And what if as the church we are, we are inviting people to a deeper experience of reality that is charged with the bigness of God? What a vision. Friends, when we focus on Jesus, we are reminded again and again that the reality that we walk into every day is not all that there is. This reality is in our face, painfully so. And we need to be hard, we need to work hard and not be lazy. But worship and focus on Jesus connects us with a much larger hope than anything this wretched world can offer me. And it's bigger inside of that hope than it is out here in all this stuff. You know what else I've learned? I've learned that Paul and Silas here in this text, they've been greatly influenced by Christ. Greatly influenced. And, and so it begs me to ask, who influences us? Like, who do we listen to? Who do we want to hear more from? Who's call comes up on the phone and we, we kind of smile before we answer it. Who is it that speaks to us and we think that they're really wise? Who is it that gives us something that we just have to keep coming back for? For Paul and Silas, they had found that even by being beaten, chained, they were free by this influencer of Christ. So who has the loudest voice in your life? Well, some of your parents will be like, hands down, kids, I get it. Man, I get it. But did you know that as parents, we can fall victim to believing that our children's voices are the only voices? Some of you children are like, well, my parents, and I don't really care how old you are. Some of you are like my parents. They call, they do this, they have, you know. yeah, okay. Maybe dad's going through a, a health scare. I get it. Like there's these loud voices all around us. Can I challenge you with something? I've said this here before. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, a screen or something you're watching or something, a podcast. I who you listen to, I don't know. You like who you like, that's fine. But whoever you spend the most time with, and listening to their voice. Just add the voice of Christ alongside of that for a while. If, if you look at your screen time on your phone, if you're, if you're spending, you know, four hours a week in a certain app, just give four hours a week to Christ. I'm not telling you to stop doing you know, Angry Birds or whatever it is. Is Angry Birds still a game? I don't know. But what I'm saying is to bring Christ in, you're like, oh, I've got to add something. Well, you've already added things. Here's what I know. I know that everybody says they're busy, and I also know that everybody has the same amount of time as everybody. We all, we all have the same amount of time. And I also know that we will prioritize and make time for the things that we think are most important. Every single one of us. College football, playoffs, it's a prime example for many of us. But who has the loudest voice? And you know what? Another thing I look at this and I learn from Paul and Silas is that 
they did not make their situation better because they were focusing on their prison. And it lets me know that nobody ever make, nobody makes bad circumstances better when they focus on the circumstances. Some of you that are living in, in the very real throes of a diagnosis can, can really identify with this because every conversation about life becomes about that illness or that diagnosis. Everything, it's like the filter that life is pushing. How much better is life now that we have that filter? Those of you who are living through this diagnosis, it sucks. It sucks the life out of us. I'm not saying that it's not a real focus or it's not a real thing. But what I am saying is that we can take our focus and we can move from what's going wrong to the God who's making all things new in the light of everything going wrong. Because Paul and Silas could have given up, but instead they worshiped, they praised right in the middle of their cell. And be careful because you're going to be labeled as a crazy person when people see you praising Jesus when everything else is going wrong. Be careful. Because when things are going bad, you're going to be labeled as, oh, well, she's just not in touch with reality. Oh, he doesn't know how bad it really is. Let me tell you something. For the person walking through grief, nobody knows reality more than that person. Nobody feels the loss more than that person. Nobody feels the pain of a needle going in for another infusion more than the person who has the needle in their arm getting the treatment. You know what I've learned about people that label you? They're never the ones that have to make your choice or really love you. Labelers aren't lovers. Let's get practical, pragmatic. What did Paul and Silas do? First of all, they obeyed God in that situation. They were, they, were, they were men of God going into the city. They had a specific mission. They were living on mission. They cast out demons. They were healed. Like they were doing it, and they got oppressed, even in the middle of obeying God. So the first thing that I see, I see them obeying God. The second thing I see, I see them praising God, singing songs, praying, and other people heard them. Did you know that God uses your prayers and your praise outside of just you? There's people that hear your praise and your prayers, and it builds their faith. And sure, they may be sitting in a jail cell figuratively. They may be sitting down the way from Paul and Silas hearing their praises, thinking they're crazy people. But did you see what happens in verse 26? An earthquake happens. Then without a warning, there was a huge earthquake. The jailhouse tottered, every door flew open, and all the prisoners were loose. How crazy do you think Paul and Silas, how, 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 how did the label stick in that moment to them with crazy? They obeyed God. They praised God. See, obedience and praise are not magical ways to get out of our circumstances or to be free from the pain that comes with the problem. The worship and praise happened before there was any hope of the doors flying open. This is who these guys are. They worship and praise God. Paul was beheaded for the, for the cause of Christ eventually. He eventually did not get out of jail in this body. This is who he, he was. Obedience, obedience and praise 
are not magical ways to break out of a problem, but obedience and praise breaks the chains that hold us to the false reality that what I'm seeing is all that there is. And if we can be broken down as followers of Jesus, if we can have something that is broken from us today, I pray it would be the lie that what you see is all there is. What you feel is all there is. What you hear is all there is. I want you to be awakened to the imagination of a God who shakes the ground with resurrection. To the reality of a God who gives us freedom and that it's always bigger on the inside than it ever was on the outside. This big world, the kingdom of God, invaded their little world in those moments. And it shook the ground and it freed them of their literal chains. That's a miracle. I don't read anywhere in the story where they were praying for this miracle. I'm not saying they weren't. But I don't read them begging to God to be free. No, they were at prayer, singing and praying robustly. And it happened. But they were already free before it happened, y'all. They were already free. We focus on Jesus because he's greater than what we're going through. And we, the band's going to come and start playing and stuff. We are a church of chain breakers. We are people who are free. Free because we continue to discover that life is bigger than the daily, everyday grind. Free because we've discovered that life is bigger than a diagnosis, or the grief, or the problems, or even the things we enjoy. Life in Christ is bigger. And we break chains every time we live in that obedience. We break the chains that that bind us to hell. Every time. We sing his praises robustly, and we go to prayer. Chain breakers, being a church of chain breakers doesn't mean that we are going out of this place with a sword looking for all the bad people. It doesn't mean that we're a church of people who are going out and looking for all the people with wrong theology, or we're trying to go out and find all the sinners. Let me tell you something church is full of sinners look around look here I'm the chief sinner around here there is no hope without Jesus there is no hope for the sin that's been in my life there's no hope for the sin that I am tempted to daily without Jesus Christ But you know what? There's a life that's bigger than the things I'm tempted to or the things that provoke me or the things that give my attention. There's a life that is bigger than the diagnoses and a life that is bigger than the pain and a life that is bigger than the grief and a life that is bigger than what I'm obsessively thinking about and sometimes I can't sleep at night because I keep thinking these tapes just play and they play play and they play and it's a lie that this is bigger than God because it's not bigger than the life of God. It's not bigger.